From the Well is a new conversation series that looks into the minds and souls of today's global leaders. This is the accompanying podcast to the video you can watch on thechinacurrent.com. I'm your host, James Chow. Our first guest is Dr. Margaret Chan, who many of us remember as Director General of the World Health Organization from 2007 to 2017. In that decade, she handled some of the biggest threats to humanity, including a re-emergence of Ebola and Zika, while putting universal health coverage at the center of global ambitions. She now lives in Hong Kong, where I had the honor of sitting down with her. We discussed her life and her new role as founding dean of the Vanke School of Public Health at Tsinghua University. Dr. Margaret Chan, it's such a privilege to be able to sit across you here in Hong Kong. But I think the first question is, and what a lot of people will be wondering, how are you? And are you happy? I'm very happy because I've been keeping myself very busy, notwithstanding uh, the uh, pandemic. I'm staying home most of the time. I seldom go out. Uh, As an elderly, I need to do all the right things to stay healthy. For example, I don't uh, go out in big groups. I seldom go out, and if I do go out, I wear masks. Uh, I keep social distancing, and I wash my hands. But I stay engaged and connected through telephone or through Zoom. And to me, nowadays, connectivity with the new technology is so easy. So that's why I'm keeping busy and happy. This is very different to your previous life because you were traveling. You were always with a suitcase or roller case in hand. Now the entire world is being asked to work from home, to use digital services, and to be creative and flexible along the way. Has that been a big adjustment for you? It is indeed a big adjustment for me. Uh, For somebody who is very naive, when it comes to technology, to the internet. But I'm learning. Um, I'm very happy with the progress uh, that I'm making. I can manage with a mobile phone and with Zoom uh, to do a lot of things. This is a different time for all of us. I mean, you spoke at the beginning about the pandemic. I know it's a rare opportunity for us to meet. What are some of the measures that you're taking um, to ensure that this pandemic can be over as soon as it can be over? Well, you are right, James. I still remember one of the um, early interviews that I gave uh, because I took that opportunity to pay tribute to all the healthcare workers and also to the scientific community for doing what they are doing because they were leading the charge in the fight against this pandemic. The healthcare workers working under very trying, very difficult conditions, uh, my heart goes to them. Uh, actually, I cried uh, uh, because I see how difficult and how hard they've been trying to save lives under difficult conditions. But it's just, I just feel that I have to come out to encourage them and also to thank them for doing uh, this for humanity. I also 
am extremely happy, notwithstanding the difficulties and the complexity. Um, the global community, uh, the scientific community, continue with their research and development, and now gives the world hope through vaccines, uh, different platforms, and they are using different platforms to do the R&D for uh, giving us vaccines uh, that the world can use wisely um, to make sure that we have equitable allocation and distribution, particularly to uh, the developing countries, uh, to control the uh, pandemic. If you don't mind me asking you, you mentioned there that you cried during this pandemic. What was it about a very complex global picture that moved you to this emotion? As a public health person, to me, the jobs of governments and the jobs of public health people is to do their utmost to make sure that people's health are protected, to remove harms out of people's way. And that is what I was not seeing at the beginning. And even for about almost a year, the lack of global cooperation so that the United Nations system particularly the World Health Organization, uh, can, you know, organize an integrated and coordinated approach to deal with this common enemies. I was speaking to you a bit earlier and I said, Dr. Margaret Chan, you're a global health leader. The pandemic has shaken the world. How do we stretch this shorter moment into long-term action? And you said something that moved me. You said that all pandemics have to end or will end. What does that mean and should that provide us with the hope that so many people are struggling to find now? I've been in public health for 40 years now. Uh, in my work at different level, we often see outbreaks uh, of uh, old diseases outbreaks coming uh, uh, new and uh, emerging and re-emerging diseases. But without exception, all outbreaks and pandemics will end. That gives us hope. Humanity must work hard. In a way, we are, history has told us that we are in a detente with diseases, humanity would always win. But going forward, I still remember in 2003 when I was managing SARS in Hong Kong, I was interviewed by a media person. The question at that time was, what would be your advice going forward? I said, we need to maintain ecosystem balance. We need to be kind to the nature. We need to be kind to human and to our animals. 
we live in a global village. How can we have peaceful coexistence and to maintain peace and development? When I think about your extraordinary career, even the decade as Director General at the World Health Organization, so many moments come to mind. I'm sure that they they do more so, much more so for you because you lived it. But throughout your whole career, you've been a first-hand witness to very deep and painful inequality. Looking back and looking forward, is there one story or experience that still shocks you today? Well, actually, I mean, there are many stories that I remember very vividly. But the one story uh, that stood out, even up to this day, is the discrimination against a schoolboy. He got HIV AIDS because he was receiving blood treatment to save his own life. He was discriminated at school and his family, the entire family was discriminated in the community. I was personally involved at that time in Hong Kong um, to help the family to relocate to another location to change their identity so that the young boy can continue learning and the family can be treated fairly like normal human beings. So this lesson of discrimination against a disease, against a human being, stood out very vividly in my memory. You know, people relocate, people move schools, people take on new identities, often because they've done something wrong, because the law is trying to separate them from society. And in this case, you had to do it because the only crime, in inverted commas, that this young person had committed was being infected with HIV. Do you think in 2021 that that stigma and discrimination, that you know, sometimes hatred for our fellow human being is as deep today as it was in the 1980s? We live in an extremely complex world. It is hard for me to compare whether we are better today or worse. But looking at how the world reacted to the current pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic, I have to say, we see a lot of examples of um, discrimination, division, rumor, unfounded rumor, that is becoming, these are becoming barriers to the United Nations system um, through global governance to bring countries together in a coordinated manner to deal with our common enemy and also to protect humanity 
we share common vulnerability. The traditional defense and our borders are not capable to protect the invasion of a disease. So this is the reality of the world that we have to understand. Because if you look at the statistics, the, the world has changed profoundly in terms of movement of people, goods and services. Compared to 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and if you look at the data, data speaks the truth and the facts, and we have not used them to our advantage. And we allow politics, unfortunately, politics to come in the ways of rationality. You've found a new way to serve humanity and to serve the individual as the first ever dean of the Vanke School of Public Health at Tsinghua University. This is an enormous role because actually School of Public Health, there are almost 100 now in mainland China alone. So what will the addition of one more make in terms of impact? James, let me share with you. I was a high school teacher. That was my first job for a brief period before I became a doctor. Now I thank Tsinghua University for the opportunity to go back to my first, you know, endeavor. There is no replacement of education, really for the world going forward. Education is important. And with good health, you can benefit from education, not just to train technicians with um, internet, with all these search engines. Knowledge is, we can say, it's a level playing field. But we know the knowledge, we know what to do. But we are seeing the lack, a gross lack of action. We keep saying that we know what to do. But in order to do, to take action, we need policy support. We also need financial support. Unfortunately, for those of us who've been working in public health, leaders of countries live in this panic mode and complacency. So when there is an outbreak, they will do everything possible, well, to stop and to control the outbreak. But once the outbreak is gone, they forget. They go back to their normal mode of operation. And once again, allow themselves to forget about humanity.
well, economy is important. There's no question about it. I mean, jobs are important. But at the end of the day, for me, you know, in public health, I think survival is important, health is important, education is also important. And you need them to progress. You know, the, this, this part of your career as dean of Tsinghua Vanka School of Public Health and the step before it, of course, globally, as head of the World Health Organization is very well documented. But what about the early part of your life? I mean, you mentioned that you were briefly a school teacher, but even before that, if we could take you back to Hong Kong, where I believe you were born, what kind of family environment was there? And what were the formative experiences that may have led you to where you are today? Well, my family came from mainland China. My family came to Hong Kong from the mainland China. I was born in Hong Kong, educated in Hong Kong. I come from a humble family, but my parents would do everything possible to say, to give us the opportunity to a good education. I still remember my mom said to me, yes, don't worry about money. Money is parents' job, but we will work very hard to put you through school and to realize your dream. If you can study, just go right ahead. Don't think about the money issue. The money issue is our job. So, in a family, we are loved. We are not very rich, but we have sufficient to go by. And school is not an issue because my parents would do everything to put us to education. Because my mom used to tell me, and my father, she said that we were not able to move up the social ladder because we don't have the education we need. But we want our children to have that opportunity. So to me, uh, being born, brought up in Hong Kong, I was lucky with you know, loving parents. And also more importantly is, in Hong Kong, I had the exposure. My mother used to tell me, go for your dream. Go for your heart. What your heart tells you is the most important thing. Well, I really thank my mom for encouraging me to do what I like and what I dream about. You are now a grandmother that will be your mother's great-grandson. Uh, when you look at your young grandson today, what would be the major health breakthrough or innovation that could happen in his lifetime? I use the term breakthrough, James, you know, I need to clarify a bit because my mother, during her time, she did not benefit from education. So she encouraged me to chase my dream. 
and be educated, unlike her. So, I mean, to that extent, it was a breakthrough for her age and for her period to encourage her daughter to chase her dream. Now, for me, yes, I have a, a grandson. He's very bright and he's very happy. <laughs> and uh, what would be the breakthrough? I really don't know. But I can say that with the way biomedical sciences is going forward, raging forward, I hope they will find a breakthrough discovery very soon, a cure for Alzheimer's disease. Because every time I think about that disease, it breaks my heart. It affects the individual, it affects the family, and it affects the carer. And I don't mind to say that. I have friends who suffer from dementia. I have Nobel laureates. I have parents of my colleagues and even my own colleagues who have suffered from dementia. So, yes, I'm sure there will be a lot of major breakthroughs in biomedical sciences. But to prevent all this suffering, I think a cure for Alzheimer's disease is important. When you look at the 10 years ahead, what do you think could be or what will be the biggest challenge to humanity? And do you think health perhaps could unlock a solution to that? We live in a global village. That enables us to see the growing inequity and the growing poverty in the world. Far too many women and girls do not have their right protected. Far too many people because where they were born determined their life and they don't have a chance to move up the social ladder, so to speak, to be educated, to hold on a job, a decent job. And I'm not talking about a very well-paid job, at least a job that people can live happily now, we live in an extremely complex world. I just hope that we, the older generation, because I'm 73 years old, do whatever we can to leave a better world for our next generation. To train In, because as a, as a university's function is, training is important. We need to train people who are compassionate, who have a warm heart, not just to think of oneself, your friends, 
but also to think about the poor people in the world. How can you contribute to making this a better world? I'd like to also ask you um, about the chaos and confusion that has seeped into the lives of young people and maybe not so young people. They're lost. Their identities have been stretched at the seams. Um, they face lockdown day after day with no timetable as to when they'll be out and what will wait for them on the other side of that. Do you have a message for all of us, young and older? The current pandemic caused a lot of um, unhappiness, caused a lot of too many deaths, and I'm sure we have friends, we have relatives that suffer from this COVID-19 pandemic. And that is precisely, we need to love ourselves. We need to love our friends, including loving a stranger. Be kind to yourself. I have never seen a pandemic that does not end. So in other words, all pandemics will end. That gives us hope. Yes, times are difficult and there's a lot of suffering, but we need to be patient and we need to stay healthy in order to win over the pandemic. I think that's such a beautiful way to close our conversation. I know in the companion video that will accompany this podcast, you talk at length about gender equality, the legacy of that, what you would say to the younger you, uh, mental health and more on Alzheimer's, including dementia. I think it was also about my father um, because, uh, you know, he lived out the last few years of his life uh, with dementia and Alzheimer's. We thank you for the trust and we thank you for the opportunity. And I thank you for everything that you've done on behalf of the world. Thank you, James. From the Well is your look into the minds and souls of today's global leaders, brought to you by the China Current and Tsinghua Vanki School of Public Health. You can watch this interview on video at thechinacurrent.com and your preferred social media. I'm James Chow. It's been a privilege sharing this time with you.